want to start this morning just by asking a question. And my question is, what gets you excited? And you can, it is, it's all right if you're new to River Rock, you know it's, if you're not, you know it's okay to talk in church. And when I ask a question, I like to get responses. So what kinds of things get you excited out there? Nothing. Awesome. There's coffee in the back if you guys need to grab some of that. Uh, maybe next week we can get an IV drip. What? What's that? Breath of life. What else gets you excited? Come on. Ice cream. There we go. Bluebell. Puppies. Yeah, the puppy bowl. That's very popular this week. That's something I can't unsee. Uh, puppy bowl. Yes, thank you. Grandkids get you excited. What else? What else? Kids. Anybody excited about football? Anybody? Yeah, a couple people out there. I know we've got some. Maybe your team's not in the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, this is the time of year where people get fanatical. They get crazy about teams they either like or really, really don't like, uh, being the Patriots, right? I just wonder how they cheated to get there this year. So, uh, and, and we get fanatical. We get crazy. We get zealous about a number of things. Uh, other stuff that we get fanatical about. How many of you have a favorite TV show? Anybody out there, right? Anybody ever heard of a Trekkie? You know what Trekkies are, right? They, they have Trekkie conventions, uh, right? And look, look at all the empty basements uh, that are, you know, parents are like, finally, my kids are out of the basement for one day at this Trekkie convention. Uh, and I have a neighbor growing up who was a big Trekkie fan, like every, his, his cell phone, his, everything was Star Trek. Everything was Star Trek. And uh, uh, it's just crazy that that's all he talked about. He was fanatical. How many of you have a favorite restaurant? You tell all your friends, oh, you got to go to this restaurant, Chick-fil-A, right? Got to have those waffle fries. And now you can, be, you can thank me because you're all craving Chick-fil-A sandwich right now. You know why you're craving it? Because you can't have it, right? Uh, you can have the pickles. If we ever go to Chick-fil-A, you can have my pickles. Uh, don't put pickles on my sandwich. But Chick-fil-A, raving fans, that's their goal. They want to create raving fans of Chick-fil-A. Uh, my kids, how many of you have little kids in here? Anybody? How many of you have ever heard of Pokemon? I don't get it. My kid, we, we don't watch Pokemon. We don't have any Pokemon cards. We don't have any Pokemon books. But somehow, my kids know all about Pokemon, and they come home, and that's all they talk about is Pokemon, and they want Pokemon cards. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what it's about. But they are fanatical about Pokemon. And we have all of these things in our lives that we get zealous about. We get fanatical about them, and this morning we're going to see the story of a man named Saul who was zealous for one thing. He was zealous for the Lord, and uh, we're going to see that, that at one point his zeal, he thinks he's doing the right thing and honoring God by persecuting the church, but God is going to grab a hold of him and transform him, and we're going to see this zeal transformed from something that was intended to tear down the church God is going to transform that zeal and use this man over the course of his life to be one of the greatest builders of the church that we have in the history of the church. Uh, and of course, we know that Jesus is the one who builds the church. Jesus tells us that I will build my church. Um, but we see that this man named Saul, who will become Paul, is going to be one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest builders of the church. And we see this zeal. And if you remember, if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, we've been going through this series in Acts called Something Bigger Than Me, and we've seen that God 
calls us to be a part of something bigger than him, and he calls us to be a part of building his church, that we as individual believers and as a a local body, we have a role to play. And we saw the theme verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we've seen this over and over and over again, that at the day of Pentecost, they, were, they received the Holy Spirit. But we also talk about how over and over again, we see throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament that people are filled in a special way with the Holy Spirit as they allow God to control their lives. And every time uh, that we've seen someone filled with the Holy Spirit, what do they do next? They speak about their Lord. They speak. So our desire is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't just be satisfied with having the Holy Spirit, but we would desire for him to control our lives, that we would speak. And he goes on and says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the theme verse. It's the outline of the book of Acts. It's a geographical outline where the gospel starts in Jerusalem and then it begins to expand from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth and it will end in Rome. It's also a racial uh, outline, an expansion from just going from the Jews to Samaria uh, with Philip. In uh, the next chapter, or excuse me, previous chapter, we see that Philip, one of the uh, people who was appointed by the apostles to serve tables, we see that he goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel there, and the, the gospel is beginning to expand out. And it really came from what we saw last week out of the persecution of, of the church in Acts chapter 6, when we looked at a man named Stephen in chapter 6 and 7, and we saw that after Stephen, this persecution began, and it began to spread, and people began to leave Jerusalem and spread out. And the gospel was spreading as the Christians moved on. And if you remember, there was a young man named Saul who stood by and held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death. And we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, that Saul was continuing continuing to persecute the church. In fact, he was so zealous that he goes to the chief priest. He's not asked by the chief priest. He goes to the chief priest and says, hey, give me letters to go all the way to Damascus and continue persecuting the church. We've got to shut this thing down. And we're going to pick up with Saul's story today in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And here's, here's the interesting thing. How many of you are familiar with the, the terms B.C. and A.D.? B.C. means before Christ, right? Before Christ. Uh, A.D. does not mean after death. It means Anno Domini. It's Latin. It means in the year of our Lord. And so in the 6th in the century, around 500 B.C., when the calendar converted to the Christian calendar, people decided that the dividing event in the history of all humanity was the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we are going to divide our history around the coming of Jesus Christ. There's life before Christ, and there's life after Christ. After Christ comes, and we're going to see very clearly in Paul's story, Saul's story, that there is very clearly a B.C. and an A.D. And I'm going to encourage us this morning to think about our own story and think about what was your B.C. like? And then what does your A.D. look like? Is there a big difference? Because there ought to be. Let's look beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. Uh, It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. 
so that if he found men or women belonging to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Notice, Saul thinks he's persecuting the church, but Jesus takes it personally. We are the body of Christ. Any persecution against the church is the same as persecution against Christ himself. I am the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. I love this story because here we have a man who seems beyond redemption. He is breathing murder and threats against the church. This is the last person that anyone would ever believe would come to faith in Jesus Christ. This would be the same as if the leader of ISIS were to come forward and say, you know what, I've put my trust in Jesus Christ, right? That's how crazy this story is. This man is so zealous against the church that he goes to the chief priest and he says, look, I heard there's some Christians up in Damascus. That's six days away. And so he asked for letters to be able to travel six days away, walking six days, to not only arrest people, but to then travel six days back to Jerusalem in order to punish them. That's how fanatical this guy is. And we see that Jesus gets a hold of him. And I love this story. The the, the reason I love this story is because when we look at Saul B.C., we realize that no one is beyond God's redemption. No one is beyond God's redemption. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul lays out some of his credentials. And he's, he's telling people of what his life was like before Christ. And he says, look, if anyone has reason to boast, if anyone has reason to be proud of who they were, it's me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And then he says this, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Here is a man who in Romans chapter 10, he's going to talk about zeal without knowledge and how we can be fanatical for something and how we can think that our way is right, but without knowledge. And by that, Paul means knowledge of the Holy One, of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. He talks about zeal without knowledge, how it's misdirected. It's misdirected zeal. And everything changes for Paul when he encounters the risen Jesus Christ. And he knows that that Jesus is risen and exalted. You see, in verse 3 of chapter 9, we read that Christianity is called the way. It's called the way. And I think it's interesting that when we look at Saul's life, Saul was living on his own way. He had his own path that he was traveling. He was traveling to Damascus to persecute the church, thinking he was doing a good thing. And he is clearly all about his own way and on the road with his own mission in life. He's encountered 
by Jesus Christ himself. And think about this. Saul was not seeking Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Saul. I love that. I love that. And it's, it's a reminder that so many of us often, we are on our own way. We are on our own path. And yet Jesus desires to enter into our lives and say, no, let me show you. Let me show you what path your life ought to be on. You see, Saul thought that, that he could do enough good things. If he just, could just keep the law well enough, that God would accept him. And that was the path he was traveling. And then he has this encounter with Jesus Christ, and he, he has this realization of his own sinfulness. For three days, he ends up being blind, and I believe that blindness was strategic because Jesus needed him to understand. Jesus needed him to see that spiritually he was blind. In John chapter 9, when Jesus encounters the religious leaders, he says, you guys are all blind. You are all blind to the reality of your own sin. You don't get it. You can never be good enough. And here Saul, I think, is encountered with the same thing, that Jesus strikes him blind so so that he could have time to reflect and realize what's going on in his life. You've heard of a come to Jesus? Uh, Like we need to have a come to Jesus meeting? right? Everybody kind of knows what that means. Saul had the very first come to Jesus meeting, right? And it went so well for him that he gets a three-day timeout, right? Saul gets put in timeout for three days. Jesus says, look, Saul, you've got to understand it's, it's not about you. It's about what I've done. I'm, I am the Lord who is crucified. I am risen and exalted. And you need to understand it's not about your works. It's not about your way, but it's about the work that I have done on the cross for you. And I think there are many who are pursuing their own way. And they need to understand. Maybe, maybe you feel in the pursuit of your own way, you feel like I'm beyond God's redemption. There's nothing anyone could do to reach me. But if Saul's story teaches us anything, it's that no one is beyond God's redemption. No one is beyond God's redemption. Jesus seeks him out. And he brings salvation to him. And he says, hey, cease striving. Stop trying to do it in your power. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. Walk in my ways and not in your own way. I think it's also important that we remind ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ that no one is beyond God's redemption. The story is going to continue on and and we're going to read about a man named Ananias. And I'm pretty sure when Ananias heard about Saul, his first thought was, no way this is true. No way this is true. But let's look at what happens in chapter 9, verse 10. It says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. He said, what a great response, right? When God calls to just say, here I am. Here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority from here, uh, from the chief priests, to arrest all who call on your name. Now, I, I read this a couple times this week, and I thought, all right, is, is Ananias kind of like back-talking Jesus? Because I don't think that's the right thing to do. And the more I read it, I kind of, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Ananias is a pretty smart guy, 
And he's, he's smart enough to not uh, question the Lord, but I think he's kind of asking for confirmation, like, are you sh- this is the same Saul, right? You, you're, you're sending me to Saul, the one who has been there when people have been executed, the one who was there when people were stoned, the one who is arresting people. Like, that's the guy you want me to go talk to? And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take the, my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I think it's important that as believers, we, we remember that no one is beyond God's redemption. Perhaps there's someone in your life that, that you have a relationship with, that anytime you bring up church or the gospel or Jesus, they become hostile towards you. Or perhaps it's someone that you've just been praying for. Maybe they're not even hostile towards the gospel, but you've been praying for them year after year after year, and you begin to think, you know what, this is useless. It's never going to work. This person is just not, they're just not going to listen. And what a great reminder for us that no one is beyond God's redemption You can imagine being a a follower of Jesus living in Damascus and you hear that Saul is on his way. You hear that Saul is on his way. What is going through your mind? Like, this is it. This is the end. Some of us aren't going to make it out of this. Some of us are going to end up in a prison in Jerusalem. And yet God intervenes. God intervenes in Saul's life. And he uses a man named Ananias. And I, I love this, that When God brings salvation to Saul, he doesn't just leave him out on his own to figure it out. He immediately brings him into a community of people, Ananias being one of those, and then in with the other disciples. I just think that's a beautiful reminder that that God's desire is never for us to try to do life on our own as followers of Christ, that his desire is for us to be in community, in in, uh, relationship with other believers. I just think that's, that's kind of a bonus for you guys this morning. Uh, I think we have to face the reality when we find ourselves saying, will it ever happen? Is it ever going to happen? That we don't give up, that we remain faithful, that we continue praying. We continue praying. Uh, and those of you here this morning that may be saying, you know what, I, I, I feel like I'm beyond God's reach. Nothing could be further from the truth. We see here in Saul, who's going to go on in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and he's going to say that Christ came to save sinners. He died for sinners, and he says, among whom I'm the worst. Paul counts himself as the worst of sinners, and he says, look, if God can reach me, then he can reach anyone. No one is beyond God's grace. The second thing we're going to see in this is we're going to see a major shift in Saul's life. We've seen a little bit of his life before Christ. We know how zealous he was persecuting the church. He lived as a Pharisee, and now we're going to see what happens in the A.D. for Paul. Let's begin in verse uh, chapter 19, the second half of verse 19. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. How soon after he comes to know Christ? How soon? Immediately. Immediately. It says, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. But all who heard were astounded and said, Isn't this the man 
who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on the name and when they and then came here from the for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest but Saul grew more capable in confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah after many days had passed the Jews conspired to kill him but the plot became known to Saul so they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him but his his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And I love this section because you've got to imagine what it would have been like to be one of those synagogue leaders in Damascus and you hear that Saul of Tarsus, the chief persecutor of the church, is coming and you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be great. We're going to have Saul come to our, our synagogue on, on the Sabbath, Saturday, and we're going to give him a chance to speak. And, and he comes and they welcome him in and, and he says, Saul, Welcome, brother. Uh, look, our attendance is double this Sunday because everyone is expecting to hear a word from you. Would you lead us from the Torah? Tell us, teach us something. And Saul stands up and he says, uh, I was wrong. Jesus is risen and he is the Messiah. And like there would be holes in the ground from jaws hitting the floor of this man. Like, okay, that's a good one. That's a good joke. Way to start the sermon. We all know that sermons are supposed to start with a joke, right? That's a good joke, Saul. Now, now get to the point. And he's like, no, uh, I've seen him. And I can prove to you that he's alive. Do you realize how crazy that is? That'd be the same as, as Abu al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, coming forward and coming to a church in Syria and saying, uh, I'm here this morning uh, to, to stand in in front of you and say that Jesus is Lord. Or to go, for him to go into one of the mosques in the Middle East and say, brothers, we have been wrong. That Jesus is Lord and we need to set aside Islam and the Quran and we need to follow Jesus Christ. That's how insane this is. But that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. And I love that it says immediately. Immediately, Paul began to preach. Immediately, he begins to share his story. I think so often we think, oh, well, you know, I need some more theological training before I, I start to share my story. I, I, I need to know more scripture. I don't know enough scripture to be able to disciple someone. And, and my favorite thing to do as a pastor is uh, to sit down with someone and f- to have them say, you know what, I, I just need more training before I can disciple and say, no, you don't. Uh, in fact, here's someone right here that I want you to disciple. They're, they're like two steps behind you. You're only two steps ahead of them. So this is going to be fun for you. What a great way for you to grow, right? And, and you pair those people up and you see this person grow uh, as they depend on the Lord to help them. And as, as all they do is tell their own story and share just what they know. And together you get to watch these people grow and grow and grow. I think we make the mistake of thinking, well, I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been through all the training courses that the church has to offer, so I'm not ready. But what we see is that Paul immediately begins sharing his story, telling what he knows. Telling what he knows. And I love this idea of the B.C. and the A.D., because if you know what your story is like before Christ, and, and then you can share what God is doing in your life after Christ, that's a powerful testimony. That's a powerful thing to be able to say, here's what I was like. Here's where I was headed. But here's what happened when Jesus Christ entered my life, and here's what my life looks like now. And that's exactly what Paul begins to do. And he begins to 
teach others. He begins telling all of these things uh, to, to everyone. He goes from being a persecutor to being persecuted. In one chapter, in one chapter, Paul moves from being the persecutor of the church to being persecuted, and he will spend the rest of his life being persecuted. Remember what Ananias was told by Jesus. Jesus says, oh, I'm going to show Saul everything that he must suffer for my name. And he certainly does. Saul certainly suffers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Saul is kind of giving his memoirs to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them all the things that he's been through for Christ. And he says, uh, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking clothing. This was Paul's life. This is what he did. And he says, look, I was a madman. I was crazy. And at one point in Scripture, he's going to say, look, if, if I'm out of my mind, if I'm crazy, it's for God. It's for the Lord. I'm crazy for the Lord. Remember, Jesus' own brothers and family members thought that he was crazy. And Paul says, look, if I am out of my mind, I mean, I was, we're, we're going to read, if you're following the reading plan with us here at River Rock, uh, you're going to read in the next couple chapters, next coming weeks, that at one point, Saul is going to be drug out of a city, stoned, left for dead, yet he's not dead. He gets up and he walks right back into the city to face the people that just tried to kill him. That's pretty crazy. That's crazy. And what we see with Saul is this, this encounter with Jesus' grace is transforming. Encountering Jesus' grace is transforming. This is a man whose, whose whole life has been changed And the people who know him and even just know about him can see that here is a man who has been transformed by Jesus' grace. Remember, Saul was not seeking the Lord, but the Lord was seeking Saul. And by his grace, he grabs a hold of him and he changes this man's life. The last thing I want us to see is that God uses saved sinners as his chosen instrument to spread the gospel and make disciples. God uses saved sinners as his chosen instrument to spread the gospel and make disciples. Look at the last part of Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 22. But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. After many days passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples... His disciples, in the short time that Paul has been a follower of Jesus Christ, he's been able to make disciples. That's amazing. His disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Think about that. And again, I love to challenge people to think bigger for their lives. To think beyond 
the reality that, oh, I have to have this certain training before I can disciple someone. No, you don't. You have the Word of God. You have the Word of God, and you have your own story that you can, you can begin immediately saying, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I know where to find them. Let's find them together. I don't know the whole story, but I know my story. And I can share that with you. God has chosen saved sinners. And I think every single one of us ought to remember over and over, every single day, that, that that's what we are. We are saved sinners. And that God saves us for a purpose. He has a purpose for your life. And, you, and that is for you to be investing in others. To be changing their lives. To be drawing them into relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And I love that it says immediately. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to command us as followers of Christ to be zealous. He says, do not lack diligence. The NIV says, don't be lacking in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Don't be lacking in zeal. In our prayer time this morning, I was talking with our volunteers and just kind of sharing with them and asking them, how many of you have ever met a new believer and how zealous that new believer is? They are on fire. All they can talk about is Jesus. And there's somewhere in the back of our minds that says, don't worry, that'll fade. You ever had that encounter? And it's sad that for so many Christians, that is the reality. That we get so excited about the Lord when we first come to faith in Christ, but over time, our zeal for the Lord begins to fade. I heard a preacher share a story about when he was, he was actually saved when he was in college and he showed up to a meeting with Christians and uh, the leader of the group came forward and, and was talking with him before and he says, you're a new believer, aren't you? He goes, uh, yeah, for about six months now. And he goes, I can tell because you're, you're so on fire. And he says, but don't worry, that'll go away. And he just said, I, I hope that never happens. I hope that never happens and that doesn't have to be the case. That doesn't have to be the case. How do we maintain our zeal for the Lord? I think Saul understood how to maintain his zeal for the Lord. And the first way to do that was by telling his story over and over and over again. Because as you tell your story and you say, I was a sinner and I was destined for hell because of my sin. And there was nothing I could do to save myself. No matter how hard I tried, there was nothing I could do to save myself. But Jesus Christ entered my life and I came to the realization that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead to prove that he had overcome sin and death. And I put my trust in him because that's what scripture calls me to do. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace you are saved through faith, not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And from that moment on, I know that my eternity was changed. And as I began to walk with the Lord and study scripture, my life has been changed. I am not the same person I was back then. I'm not even the same person I was a year ago because God is continually at work in my life. And when we share that story, it reminds us, number one, of our own need for the gospel. And we get excited about what God is doing in our lives. 
And number two, we get to see God use us in the life of other people. You know, I've never met someone who shares their testimony, who shares the gospel regularly, who's lacking in zeal. Never happened. I've never had someone come to me as a pastor and say, you know, I'm sharing the gospel three, four times a week, and my, my passion for the Lord is just not there. Like, that's never happened to me. The most zealous people I see are the ones who are continually, regularly sharing their faith. The second thing I think we can do uh, to maintain our zeal for the Lord is to maintain an eternal perspective. What do, we, what do I mean that, by that? Temporal means that we're looking towards the things of this life. Eternal perspective means that we're looking beyond this life. That we recognize that what we do here will make a difference in eternity. And that our desire is to live for eternity. For the day, as we saw with Stephen last week, the Lord stands at the right hand of God to welcome Stephen into heaven. And so as we look forward to that day and that time, what do we want that encounter to be like? That we would be rewarded, that we would be honored by our Lord because of the way that we lived for him. So how do we do that? How do we maintain an eternal perspective? Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And so I think as we think about that, we have to think about our time, talents, and our treasure. We invest our time in the things of God. That includes time in prayer, time studying scripture, One of the things I love about our reading plan is that it it forces us for at least five minutes a day. As as a church body, we're all reading the same thing, and we're reading about things that often I think we're just blind to. That God is still working in our lives. Maybe not in the, the signs and miracles and the powers that he did in the New Testament and the Old Testament, but when we see lives changed and we see the people around us change, we're reminded that, yes, God is still working in powerful ways, in powerful ways. Uh, We spend time in prayer. We spend time serving others. I think another great investment we can make is in relationship with other people who are going to walk with us. That's why we're so big on community groups here at River Rock Bible Church. Quite honestly, I don't know where I would be without the people of my community group. It truly is a blessing every Wednesday to gather with them and to hear their stories of what God is doing in them and to be able to share what God is doing in me and to be able to ask for prayer when I need prayer and to be able to join with them when they need prayer, to celebrate with them, to weep with them. It, it reminds me every single week that there is something so much bigger than just my flat tire that happened this morning. And it gets my focus off myself. Our, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Uh, I, I know on February 19th, we're having a special missions offering. And I want to encourage you. I've been encouraging you the last few weeks. Be praying. God, what would you have us give above and beyond our normal giving that would go directly to world missions and church planting? Uh, Lord, I want to make an investment in, in eternity. And I want to see what you've blessed me with here on this earth be used for your kingdom directly. And so I'm going to go above and beyond, and and I'm going to set this aside, and I'm going to honor you with this. Uh, We have great ways to to make that investment. All history, all history is divided by the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. B.C. and A.D. Our very lives are, are divided 
by the coming of Jesus Christ in our life, B.C. and A.D. Saul's life was changed dramatically. Some people have that dramatic road to Damascus experience, and some people, it's not so dramatic. But the question is, how has your life been changed since Christ entered? Does it look different? Are you taking steps to continue to follow the Lord? Are you zealous for him? A couple things that I think you can do. Check your zeal-o-meter, right? Check your zeal-o-meter. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing? You feel zealous for the Lord? You feel that same passion? What is zeal? The opposite of zeal is complacency. Indifference. Zeal is active passion. Do you have that active passion for the Lord? And are you living it out? Are you telling your story regularly? Are you reflecting regularly on the gospel that saved you? Are you allowing your zeal to be steered by the word of God? Not by your emotions, but by the word of God. Reflecting on his word daily. My prayer for us is that we would be able to recapture our zeal. That we would, we would live lives worthy of persecution. We saw that Saul's zeal led to him being persecuted. And, and thankfully, we live in a country that we don't face that kind of persecution. Uh, but it ought to be our desire that, that we could stand before the Lord saying, you know what, Lord, I was, I was zealous for you. And there were times that it, it may have cost me a little bit. Maybe people thought I was a little weird. But that was something that I was willing to endure for your sake. I want to encourage us this morning to, to think about our zeal. What steps can you take to recapture your zeal? When's the last time? When's the last time you shared your story with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ? When's the last time you saw someone come to faith in Jesus Christ? And were used by God in that way? When's the last time you made an investment with another believer and said, let me help you take a next step. Let me walk with you. How's your zeal? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we, we confess that at times our zeal does, does fade. That perhaps we allow ourselves to lose sight of what is truly important. And the excitement that overwhelms us at times of our own salvation, that you would choose to enter our lives, Lord, sometimes it's just not there. And we know that it's not because of anything that has changed with you, but often, Lord, it's what's changed in us. And so I ask this morning for those that are present that you would allow us to recapture our zeal. Lord, help us focus our hearts and our minds on eternity that we would be investing our time, talents, and treasures on things that will matter for all eternity and not just the day-to-day. And Lord, may you remind us each and every morning of our own need for the gospel and of the, of the, the day that we put our trust in Christ and how excited we were when that happened. Lord, would you use that reminder to encourage us each day to be speaking about your son Jesus Christ, that we would be zealous for him. That we would see more and more lives transformed 
by the life-changing reality of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.